All right, Matt. So do you know what the biggest lie ever told in the universe is? Man, I wish I'd have known this before you were going to ask. I got to come up with something real funny to say, but what? <laughs> what is it? It is, I have read and agreed to the terms and conditions of this website. <laughs> Everybody tells that Ain't lie. Ain't that the truth? <laughs> <laughs> Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the graveyard. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Adam. And my name's Matt. Now, pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable because this is Graveyard Tales. All right, everybody, here we are again. Matt, how you doing tonight, brother? It's been a little uh, man, while. Yeah, it, it feels like I hadn't been in here forever. Right? I mean, we've been, it feels like we've been gone forever. Y'all y'all hadn't noticed, but we yeah. have. Yeah, we, <laughs> uh, we've had, you know, and both of us have had some personal things come up, and then we both took a vacation, yep. and uh, so y'all didn't realize it because... You know, we're good like that, and, and we got ahead and uh, able to keep putting out episodes, but it, it's been several weeks since Matt and I have actually sat down in the graveyard and had a had a discussion, so it, yeah. it finally feels back to normalcy now, which yeah. is nice. And, I, you know, I, I learned some things while we were off. Oh, yeah? Well, I, I learned how to build a fence. So I, 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 I built, uh, man and I built a privacy fence. Uh, in, uh, at our house. Happy which to was have cool. you in the fence building club. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was surprised. Um, you know, I, I've I've learned that I I actually do have a green thumb that forever I thought I couldn't grow anything, and I, I we've got more flowers and we've got tomatoes coming up, <laughs> and I'm like, wow. And, and I learned I learned something. Um. When I when I got back to work, you know, it it's still it not only is it hot in Tennessee, it's ridiculously humid. Yeah. And and I have learned that since I've grown my beard back, that wearing a mask and humidity mm-hmm. makes my beard curl up. Oh really? <laughs> <laughs> I you know, I'm like uh, you know, I'm a, I was like, "What the heck yep. is going on?" You know. <laughs> yep. Well, I I noticed it's something similar. I mean, mine's a lot longer in in one in the front there than yours is, but uh, mine it doesn't like curl like yours does. But mine will get stuck in this loop, like where it <laughs> yeah it, it kind of is curl, but it's not like the hair is curly. It's more like I've got mask beard. You know, you yeah. got hat uh-huh. hair. I've got mask beard and it, yeah, I'm with you. It, a mask in the South during the summer is, I mean, it, it's bad it, and it's worse when you got facial hair. Yeah. I may just, I may just put my mask on and then shave around it as a guide. So I have a beard shaped <laughs> mask. There you go. <laughs> a mask shaped beard rather. <laughs> I like it. I like it. They, uh, they actually did have this thing that was out for a while that, um, it was a goatee shaper, 
and you would put it in your mouth and bite down on it and then twist these dials and it moved it like up and down and in and out. And then you would just take your clippers and shave around it for your goatee. Oh <laughs> and when I saw that, I was like, hold on. So you're telling me you've got to have a stencil to yeah. get a goatee on your face? You uh, you found this on the Wish app, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did. And it was only like uh, two and a half inches large. Yeah. It was... Yeah. Now, I don't remember where I saw it. Uh, so before we get too far off on a tangent, I uh, wanted to thank Podbelly. Go to podbelly.com uh, if you want to find some more podcasts to listen to. And if you're thinking about starting a podcast, you've been stuck at home for 18 years or whatever it feels like now. Um, and, yeah. and you're wanting a creative outlet and you want to start podcasting, go to podbelly.com and they've got some resources to help you out. Um, we also wanted to thank Eddie and Diana for sending us some packages. Uh, we've got a new PO box and you guys were the first to send us something to the new PO box. Um, if you want to send us anything, the, uh, address is down in the show notes. Um, and it's on our website as well. You know, we, we will mention you on the show if we get something from you and we always appreciate getting stuff from you guys as, as long as it's not like, a haunted object um, that I have yeah. to then bring into my home. Um, I'm okay with it. <laughs> or food. Don't yeah. send us food because if you do, I won't get it. <laughs> Adam will eat all of it. <laughs> yeah. well, I can send it to you, but it just wouldn't be any good at that point. Well, and that, that brings up a good point. Uh, if, if it's going to go bad, if it's quickly perishable, don't send it because I only check that p.o box once a week once every other week so i'm not going there every day where i'd get something oh hey it's fresh fruit (laughs) by the time i got there it'd be a puddle in the bottom of the p.o box and and the postman would hate me so uh but yeah we just wanted to thank eddie and diana for being the first to send something to the new p.o box are you looking for a new podcast that talks about well everything If so, you might want to try out my new podcast, Because I Want to Know, the show where I get into people's heads and discuss how the choices in their lives have affected them. We could be talking about anything from true crime, the paranormal, or I don't know, metal detecting. I'm going to get into the nitty gritty of what makes people do what they do, a kind of stalking you just can't do on Facebook. So join me each Monday as I sit down and have a chat with some amazing and fascinating guests going through seemingly ordinary lives um so on that note matt why don't you tell us what what are we talking about tonight okay so tonight we're going to talk about a topic that i'd been kind of pitching around in my head and and threw it out to adam and we we finally got to it um it's something that i i i really got into recently watching the show Westworld Mm -hmm. and it it really kind of struck a chord with me and it made me think back to movies that I really, I I really dug, you know, like, like Terminator and the matrix and war games. If you're as old as I am, Mm -hmm. Um, we're going to talk about artificial intelligence and and not only just not just the intelligence Matt and I have that where we make right. you think it's we know something it's completely that, artificial. <laughs> yeah. 
But the, this whole idea of are are we ad, ad, advancing this technology to the point that we could either replace ourselves, you know, or in, in according to the movies, uh, uh, allow a machine to take over. Right. So we're we're going to discuss a little bit about what artificial. I think everybody knows what it is, but you don't really know a lot of the the details and and how the how the industry actually looks at it and 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 the terminology and things like that. So Adam's going to discuss a little bit about the the history and and then we're we're going to really have a big discussion on what are the potentials here, you know, good, bad, and otherwise. Right. And like Matt said, I got a bunch of stuff here that we can talk about. And this really allowed me to indulge my nerdiness. Um, <laughs> you know, Matt, Matt brought this up and I was like, you know, I, I think that would be uh, something cool to look into and talk about because it, I mean, it kind of falls in line with what we talk about here in the graveyard. It, it's something that. You know, it, it's kind of mysterious to us right now. We we have inklings of what it would be like, but it could also be really bad. Um, could be really good, could be really bad, depending on which side of the fence you're on with the debate. But this allowed me to get into some of the history of looking at AI and all that. So this is from an article from builtin.com. Um, and we have to first look at what artificial intelligence is. So in computer science, artificial intelligence, or AI, as we'll probably say from here on out, uh, sometimes called machine intelligence, is intelligence demonstrated by machines unlike the natural intelligence displayed by humans or animals. So as machines become increasingly capable, tasks that are considered to require, quote, intelligence are often removed from the definition of AI, which is a phenomenon known as the AI effect. So it's a uh, there's a quip from Tesla's theorem, and that's Tesla's T E S L E R S, not how someone from Boston would say Tesla. Um, <laughs> that, <laughs> that it's actually Tesla's uh, Tesla's theorem, and he says AI is whatever hasn't been done yet. So uh, okay, it, basically, he's saying that if you know, way back in the day, when my granddad first learned computer programming, um, it was still in the punch cards. So you would punch out a card to tell the computer what to do, and you would feed it in, and it would read off of that what it wanted or what you wanted it to do. So, you know, it, it still wasn't learning on its own or doing anything on its own. It was going out of exactly what you told it. Right. So at that point in time... What our computers do now with you, you know, calculating taxes or or these long advanced equations that you put in and it, it calculates for you, all that would be considered artificial intelligence, according to Tesla's theorem. But now that it does that because of the AI effect, that's not artificial intelligence anymore. That's just computers. So, right. Right. Artificial intelligence would be okay, um, you know, some of the other stuff we're going to talk about, but it gets into, okay, can it differentiate between humans and uh, between humans' emotions? 
you know, like, is this human mad or sad or whatever? That's something that we as humans take for granted because it's built in, you know, into our brain to do. But computers don't understand emotions. And that's something we have to teach it to learn. So according to the Tesla's theorem, that is considered artificial intelligence. And what we use, the computer that we're using right now is not AI. Yeah, and I remember being a kid um, in elementary school back in the in the early '80s. Um, you know, the the idea of personal computers was still fairly new. You know, yeah. I mean, it, you know, you didn't have one in your house. I mean, I had I had like one or two friends that had like a Commodore sixty four. You know, when I was twelve, I had a, a Texas Instruments. Mm-hmm. computer and i'm doing air quotes you yeah. know it, it was it, it wasn't a it was a computer like thing i mean yeah. really for what what computers were doing at the time but i remember the terms that we had to learn you know like in second and third grade and one was garbage in garbage out you know a computer at, at the time was only gonna spit out what the user put in it Right. So, I mean, it was, it, it was a machine, you know, you just, you know, if I, if I teach, if I teach the machine and when I say teach, I mean, if I, if I program a machine to know what two plus two is, then when I go when I go to it or when someone else goes to it and they say, what's two plus two, it's four, you know, so I've got a big fancy calculator. Right. You know, but, but if I, if I go to the computer and I say, you know, what color is grass? If it's going to answer the word green to me, that means a human being at some point programmed it that mm-hmm. way, that yep. the answer was going to be green because the machine doesn't know that. No. You know, it it only answers that because a human did it, you know. But as Adam's saying, you know, once it gets to a point where, you know, the computer could interpret a color and grass and answer that way it you know we're we're on a different level now right uh that just made me think that you know i I didn't get a computer in the house until i was a junior in high school um and you know it's funny because the the generations now you know the the younger generations now don't know what it's like to live without a computer i i tell michael that I'm older than Google. I'm older than the internet. And he doesn't yeah. believe me. Yeah. And, you know, it just, it's one of those things that it's been around his whole life. So he doesn't, he can't imagine a time without it, you know? So the next thing we need to talk about is one of the first people who discussed artificial intelligence. Um, hey, it, because the idea of artificial intelligence has been around for a long time. Even though, like we were just saying, Matt and I didn't have computers really in the household till we were quite old, you know, just just due to the way the public gets their computers. But the idea of this has been around a long time. So this says less than a decade after breaking the Nazi encryption machine enigma and helping the Allied forces win World War II, mathematician Alan Turing changed history a second time with one simple question. He asked the question, can machines think? 
So Turing's paper, Computing Machinery and Intelligence, in 1950, and its subsequent Turing test established the fundamental goal and vision of artificial intelligence. At its core, AI is the branch of computer science that aims to answer Turing's question in the affirmative. So they're they're basically trying to get all computers to think, like Alan mm-hmm. Turing asked. Um, so it's the endeavor to replicate or simulate human intelligence in machines. Now, the expansive goal of artificial intelligence has given rise to a lot of questions and debates, so much so that no singular definition of the field is universally accepted. So basically says because it's such a wide field, we've got no straight answer for you on exactly how to define artificial intelligence. So this goes on to say that in their groundbreaking textbook, Artificial Intelligence, A Modern Approach, authors Stuart Russell and Peter Norvig approach the question by unifying their work around the theme of intelligent agents in machines. With this in mind, AI is, quote, the study of agents that receive precepts from the environment and perform actions. So Norvig and Russell go on to explore four different approaches that have historically defined the field of AI. One is thinking humanly. Two is thinking rationally. Three is acting humanly. And four is acting rationally. So basically, it's just let, let's make them, let's make computers act like humans. That's the goal. So we got to look at also how AI is used. Now, artificial intelligence, they say, generally falls under two broad categories. Narrow AI, which is referred to as weak AI. Now, this is the kind of intelligence that operates within a limited context and is a simulation of human intelligence. Narrow AI is often focused on performing a single task extremely well. And while these machines may seem intelligent, they are operating under far more constraints and limitations than even the most basic human intelligence. And the other one is artificial general intelligence or AGI. This is sometimes referred to as strong AI. And this is the kind of artificial intelligence that we see in movies like robots from Westworld, like Matt said, or data from Star Trek. Um, I love data back in the day. He was so <laughs> Oh, cool. I know. And you know what's funny is whenever I see Brent Spiner in anything, oh, he's just he's data. Yeah. You know, yeah. he looks weird. You know, well, he's a great actor, but I, he's always going to be data. <laughs> yeah. For those I mean, of you not watching the video, I have an old Star Trek action figure of data that I'm holding up here. So I bet this is worth a ton of pennies. Yeah, ton of pennies. Yeah. The back opens yeah. up and everything. Okay. That's that's it's my nerdiness kind of, I mean, there know, for you. Adam was a Star Trek guy. I was a Star Wars guy. You know. Yeah, that's I'm I'm surprised we get along, Matt. I really am. <laughs> <laughs> In other circles we wouldn't. Right, right. <laughs> Thank God for the 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 realm of Fortiana. It brings us That's together. Right. So uh, this goes on to say that AGI is a machine with general intelligence, much like a human being, and it can apply that intelligence to solve any problem. So there's your difference. Yeah. The ability to apply the intelligence it has to solve random problems that's put in front of it, not just 
oh, it knows this stuff. It it's a you know a big thick dictionary of uh, of you know ways to solve a problem, but it can find the correct one for the problem it has and then execute that task. That's where AGI is is basically the the segment that we're going to be talking about when we talk about you know this. Yeah, broad the, use of ai yeah the potential right you know. right because the the narrow narrow ai isn't going to get us much further than where we are now you know i mean yeah i mean you know narrow ai right now would be you know like a, a google search you know it's yeah it's, exactly the information's there you know you're you're using google as opposed to going to a library and using a card catalog to to search and find the topic, you know, the information is in this building. You you just you're you're getting pointed in the right direction, and that's what what Google's doing. It's not making inferences mm-hmm. about what what you're searching. It's just finding keywords and and giving you the information. I mean, that's right. that's very narrow. Yeah. You know what? And that that is one of the examples of narrow AI that I have is a Google search. Um, others are image recognition software, um, Siri or Alexa or some of the other personal assistants, self-driving yeah. cars, and IBM's Watson. These are all narrow AIs that complete a task based on what you tell it to do. Yeah, I mean, you know, even as cool as uh, Alexa is, and you know, I I control a lot, Alexa controls a lot of stuff in my house for me. Um, it's it's very simple and convenient. But it's, you know, I I say this, you do this, right, know? right, and that's that's it. You know, Alexa's not going, hey, you know what? Um, Matt typically records on these nights. I'm going to turn the air conditioner on. You know, out right. in the studio, um, so it's nice and cool because he might record tonight. Mm-hmm. You know that would be nice, wouldn't with, it? With without me telling them, yeah, without you having to program it, so it make, just learned making it. the inference. But you know, we're we're gonna get into this. We're we're seeing we're seeing things now where machines are doing that. You yeah. know, the, they're they're actually doing those kind of things, um, without somebody telling it to. But but somebody has 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 told it other things you know other triggers to pick up on and now the you know these the these algorithms have become more and more complicated and sophisticated mm-hmm. that it can begin to make inferences you know based on human behavior right and that that's right. that's kind of where that's the road we're headed down all right so speaking of the road that we went down um forbes.com has a list of some of AI's biggest milestones. And I thought it would be cool to discuss these to kind of see where we've come throughout history to get to the point we are today, you know, as far as artificial intelligence goes. So believe it or not, back in 1637, Descartes actually breaks down the difference. Now, long before robots were even a feature of science fiction, scientist and philosopher Rene Descartes pondered the possibility of that machines would one day think and make decisions. So this says, while he erroneously decided 
that they would never be able to talk like humans. He did identify a division between machines, which might one day learn about performing one specific task and those which might be able to adapt to any job. So that's basically what we just talked about when we talked about the two different types of AI. And he he thought about that in 1637. Yeah, so what the heck kind of machine was he talking about? I don't know. He he couldn't have envisioned what we have nowadays. There's no way. Like, like a, a like a, a windmill. Yeah. It, it, I don't know. I mean, uh, I'm showing my stupidity here, but I'm, you know, in 1637, you know, of course, you know, we're thinking simple machines and I'm I mean, you know, we know that you know, different different things, but I I'm trying to wrap my head around a machine that he would have had, you know, experience with to think uh, on this level. You know, right. what what was he what kind of machines were he was he looking at that made him think, you know, what if these things could think or what if we could communicate with this machine and tell it what to do? Yeah, I know they had like wind up type toy things you know where and and larger so maybe he was just inferring that where you know you through gears you twist this thing and and you set the uh you know the spring or whatever in it to go and then as it goes these gears move and this little animal walks so maybe he was just kind of inferring because this thing looks like an animal and walks what if one day it could actually think about itself walking, you know? I don't know. But we jump from 1637 and we jump up to 1956. And this is nobody thought about this. Right. No, no, you know, for 300 years. Zero thinking about <laughs> machines until 1956. Well, according to Forbes, that's what happened. Nobody thought about that's it. That's exactly what happened. So. Forbes says in 1956, the Dartmouth conference happened. So with the emergence of ideas such as neural networks and machine learning, Dartmouth College professor John McCarthy coined the term artificial intelligence and organized an intensive summer workshop bringing together leading experts in the field. Now, During the brainstorming session, attempts were made to lay down a framework to allow academic exploration and development of, quote, thinking machines to begin. Many fields which are fundamental to today's cutting-edge AI, including natural language processing, computer vision, and neural networks, were part of the agenda. So back in 56 is when all this kind of, this stuff kind of got laid out and planned out. And the neural networks makes me think of, um, it, it made me think of Elon Musk and his, okay, uh, yeah. and his Neuralink that he's got. Oh, yeah, okay. And I actually reached out to Elon on Twitter and never heard from him, which I was surprised because he's one of my biggest fans on Twitter. So I'm, I'm surprised <laughs> he never got around to uh, answering me. But um, it, it would have been cool to have him on to discuss this because he could have given us a lot better uh, uh, understanding of AI than what we have now. But when i when i was reading about the neural networks it made me think of his neuralink thing which yeah we'll get yeah. into talking about that a little bit later cuz i know a little bit about it but in 1966 eliza gives computers a voice now eliza developed by mit um by joseph weizenbaum was perhaps the world's first chatbot 
and a direct ancestor of the likes of Alexa and Siri. Now, Eliza represented an early implementation of natural language processing, which aims to teach computers to communicate with us humans in language rather than to require us to program them in computer code. So Eliza couldn't talk like Alexa. She communicated through text, and she wasn't capable of learning from her conversations with humans. But she paved the way for later efforts to break down the communication barrier between people and machines. So, yeah, still, I mean, that was a big leap right there. And, you know, we could just talk to it and it would understand what we were saying. Yeah. And so this this happened um, uh, maybe a week or so ago. Uh, no, that we was in 1966, about, Matt. That, oh, that yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> a week ago. <laughs> I don't know. I cannot remember what we were talking about, but whenever, whenever uh, we have a disagreement about something nonsensical at, at the house, somebody finally just asks Alexa the answer. And, you know, sometimes she, she gets it right or, or, or sometimes she's, not on the same page and and most of the time that case is you know we we all talk with southern accents and alexa is not from tennessee right right um and she doesn't understand (laughs) but i but something happened that was pretty cool when she gave us the answer this time she responded within like a minute or two and said did i answer your question correctly and I said, yes. And so she, I can't remember, she said, thank you or something like that. But I looked at Amanda and I said, that is really important because now she knows that whatever question we asked, she answered it correctly. So that's in the system now, mm-hmm. not just for us, but for all Alexa users. So. The closer she gets to being right, then the more likely it is that if someone else asks her the same question, that her answer is going to be correct. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of ways, that's learning. Whereas, you know, Eliza didn't learn right. based on her conversations. Alexa is. You know, she is learning. Okay, I got this question right. It's also so scary. So if someone as hell. else asked me, yeah, it, well, kind of, yeah, and that's what we're going to talk about. That you know how scary this could potentially be, you know, and beyond the conspiracy theory of the government's listening in to me asking, you know, who wrote the song, whatever. Um, but the idea of she's getting feedback, right? I mean, you you think about it when when humans learn, how do you learn? Feedback is critical. You're doing a task, you're you're taking a test, you're answering a question. If you don't get the feedback, then you don't learn. Mm-hmm. If you answer it wrong or if you answer it correct, but yet you don't know, you're not learning. You're just spouting out facts. So, you know, in, in this capacity, you know, we're, we're talking about a machine that sits on my kitchen counter that's learning. And it's 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 gonna it's gonna help improve. And so imagine if that same night, thousands of other people had the same response to a question that they may have asked, you know. And now that whole system is like, okay, you know, 
this was wrong, this was right, this was, you know, this was close, whatever, so that the responses are better and more accurate. Right. Because it's learning. Right. It's learning based on the feedback we're giving it. Right. All right, Matt. So let's take a, a, a minute here and talk about this week's sponsor, Care Of. We love Care Of. Now, Care Of is a wellness brand that makes it easy to maintain your health goals and customize vitamin plans that help you feel better day to day and it supports you long term. Um, Care Of can make taking your vitamins and supporting your health goals more attainable. And any of your recommendations from the quiz that you take come to you in an a individually wrapped daily packet that's perfect for you know helping you get back in your routine. And I, I take a fistful of vitamins every morning, so it's nice having a packet of them with my name on it that I can just pull out and I go, okay, here's my packet today, and I've got them all right there. I don't have to go fumbling through bottles to get out all my vitamins and take them. It's right there. Right. And you know, what I really love about it, Adam, because because I take I take vitamins too, and sometimes it's hard to know what should I be taking? You mm-hmm. know, you see so much information out there and, and every week there's everybody ought to be taking this and everybody ought to be taking that. Well, maybe I'm not everybody. Right. And right. I want to know, well, what should I really be taking to meet my health goals? Well, Kerov's in-depth five-minute online quiz asks you questions about your diet, your lifestyle, and health concerns to help address your specific wellness goals. Because the vitamin aisle can be confusing, and it's hard to know what you need and where to begin. So you answer easy questions like, how much sleep do you get? How often do you work out? Do you follow any specialty diets? Are you concerned about your hair, skin, and nail health? And more. And you follow Kerov's expert recommendations, or you can adjust your pack at any time. So what you receive is completely up to you. And, and Amanda and I, you know, have done this, and it is so easy and so convenient, and you know what you're taking, and it's right there on the package, and all you have to do is pick it up, you know, the package is is completely geared towards you, and you're taking today's vitamins. It's and, great. And, it, and it's great. We've been doing that for, what, over a year now, Matt, that we've all been oh, doing yeah. the care of vitamins? It, it's fantastic. It's, I mean, I couldn't recommend it more. So, for 50% off your first care of order, go to takecareof.com and enter the promo code GRAVE50. That's G-R-A-V-E-5-0. That's right. Again, for 50% off your first care of order, all you got to do is go to takecareof.com and enter the code GRAVE50, G-R-A-V-E-5-0. So the next milestone we've got is in 1980, XCON and the rise of useful AI. Digital Equipment's Corporation XCON Expert Learning System, that's a mouthful, was yeah. was deployed in 1980 and by 1986 was credited with generating annual savings for the company of $40 million. Now, this is significant because until this point, AI systems were generally regarded as impressive technological feats with limited real-world usefulness. 
Now it was clear that the rollout of smart machines into business had begun. By 1985, corporations were spending $1 billion per year on AI systems. So because, I mean, it saved them $40 million. So if if Mm -hmm. the calculations of this computer can learn and save you that much money, obviously you're going to start putting, you know, corporations are going to start putting their money into it. Now, in 1988, it says IBM researchers published a statistical approach to language translation, which introduced principles of probability into the until then rule-driven field of machine learning. So this is a big step. Now, it tackled the challenge of automated translation between human languages, French and English. This marked a switch in emphasis to designing programs to determine the probability of various outcomes based on information they were trained on rather than training them to determine rules. This is often considered to be a huge leap in terms of, yeah, exactly, in mimicking the cognitive processes of the human brain and forms the basis of machine learning as it is used today. So just like Matt was talking about Alexa, you know, learning from what she gave him and him saying, yep, you did it right. This is when it started in, in 1988 with IBM. Now, this next one I'm not going to get into too deep, but in 1991, uh, it was the birth of the Internet. So this is when, uh, you know, CERN research, uh, CERN researcher, Tim Berners-Lee put the world's first website online and published the workings of the Hypertext Transfer Protocol, HTTP. So CERN is who gave us the Internet because they were using it internally, you know, to, to share between all the CERN scientists. And they said, wouldn't this be cool if we could learn from everybody out in the world and, you know, everybody can learn from other people and, and all this stuff. They had no idea it was going to be a bunch of free cat videos and porn several years later. But look, here we are. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, I know. It it, 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 it kind of took on a life of its own, it literally. It, it, you know, it it's started a living, as a, breathing thing. Oh, yeah. It started as a, as a great thing. And now uh, it helps put out stupid shows like ours onto the Internet. So <laughs> we're... We are very thankful for CERN and the Internet. That's right. Now, in 1997, Deep Blue defeats world chess champion Gary Kasparov. Now, y'all may have heard about this, but IBM's chess supercomputer didn't use techniques that would be considered true AI by today's standards. Essentially, it relied on, quote, brute force methods of calculating every possible option at high speed, rather than analyzing gameplay and learning about the game. But it was important for a publicity point of view, drawing attention to the fact that computers were evolving very quickly and becoming increasingly competent at activities at which humans previously reigned unchallenged. So it's not technically learning like we are talking about in AI, but it it did the quickly running every scenario that possibly could yeah, happen it's and it's predictive right and then spitting out a what it wanted to do and they it ended right. up 
you know, beating the guy in chess and chess is notoriously a really hard game. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's predictive and it's, um, it's analytical and, and it's, it's using, you know, a a statistical, uh, you know, analogy to, um, to predict the outcome. So, you know, if, if a, if a chess player, you know, makes a move, then, you know, it's calculating, you know, what, what would be the most logical next moves for it to make. Right. And not only that, but it's, it's looking forward of, you know, if I do this move, what would his most logical next move be? Right. You know, now here's the thing, you know, you're right. It, it's not technically learning, but you know, how close at that point were we to having a computer that would, that, that could learn another player's strategy. Right. You know, that's, that's, you know, we're, we're talking about, you know, what, 97. So, you know, it's ability to, to say, okay, the most logical move would be these, but this player in particular has a tendency to do things that are off script. Right. Right. You know, to just kind of throw you off. And a lot of chess players, because of the game, because, you know, even though it seems like the possibilities are endless, they're not. It's just, it's so vast that, you know, as humans, we have a hard time thinking forward in those calculations. You know, but to be able to say, you know, okay, I'm going to do something that's completely out of character for me. You know, that may actually be in character for a a specific player, mm-hmm. you know, to go, this would be the logical thing, but I'm going to do something totally different to throw this other player off. That may work against a human. It may not necessarily work against a computer because the computer would have a response for that particular move, which would to it may be illogical. I know I'm, I'm, I'm I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm getting lost in the wording, but simply what I'm trying to say is, you know, even though it's not learning, you know, it, it has the, it's, it's has the ability because it's ability to do those calculations to think ahead mm-hmm. and, and make a plan. Yeah. It can, you know, it can run the calculations quick enough to understand if it does this and you do that, you know, uh, whatever what, three possibilities you may do, then it's got then, a response to yours so it, it's exactly it's able to process quick enough where you know we don't think of ourselves as doing that but in a way that's what our brains do is calculate the possibilities of what you may do and then what i'm gonna do it it's you know it happens just naturally in our brain and we don't have to think about it as calculating the possibilities but technically we are that that's how we mm-hmm. how we work ourselves through problems Now, in 2005, DARPA had the Grand Challenge. 2005 marked the second year that DARPA held its Grand Challenge, which is a race for autonomous vehicles across over 100 kilometers of off-road terrain in the Mojave Desert. Now, in 2004, none of the uh, entrants managed to complete the course. The following year, however, five vehicles made their way around with the team from Stanford University taking prize for the fastest time. 
The race was designed to spur the development of autonomous driving technology, and it certainly did that. By 2007, a simulated urban environment had been constructed for vehicles to navigate, which means that they had to be able to deal with traffic regulations and other moving vehicles. So the DARPA Grand Challenge is kind of what started this, you know, self-driving cars, you know, the Uber, self-driving Ubers and all that. Um, and it only, you know, went from 2004, they didn't have anybody win. Nobody completed it. And then 2005, five different teams did. So that shows mm-hmm. you how big a leap we took in just a year in our capabilities. Yeah. Now, thank you for using Johnny cab. Yeah, exactly. You remember that? Yeah. <laughs> See, that, that gets into the whole creepy thing again, but, uh, huh. Now, in 2011, IBM's Watson won Jeopardy. So the cognitive computing engine Watson faced off against champion players of the TV game show Jeopardy, defeating them and claiming a $1 million prize. Now, this says that this was significant because while Deep Blue had proven over a decade previously that a game where moves could be described mathematically, like chess, could be conquered through you know this brute force computing like we talked about, the concept of computers beating humans at a language-based, uh, the creative thinking game really wasn't heard of at the time. So, I mean, that was, I, I remember when that happened and it, you know, nobody thought the thing could win because, mm-hmm. you know, this was one of those where it had to hear what you said mm-hmm. and then it had to go find that information in you know, the database or, or the internet or wherever it went to search for it. And it, it was actually kind of cool to see that happen. Yeah. And not only that, it's, it's playing a game, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, you know, it's coming in, it's, you know, competing against human players with reaction times and, you know, thought processes. And it's, it's, it's buzzing in to, to make a response, you know, a correct response. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that, that is pretty cool. And I just, I thought of something as you're doing this, you know, you're listening to this show and you're going, what the hell? This is graveyard tales. Yeah. We're not talking about ghosts or anything. I tuned in for something scary. If you've listened up to this point and know the direction we're going and you're not a little scared yet, (laughs) you will be. Yeah. Right. I promise. Right. So what we're going to do is we're going to jump up a little bit here. And we're going to go to 2016. Um, and this is AlphaGo goes where no machine has gone before. And this says gameplay has long been a chosen method for demonstrating the abilities of thinking machines. And the trend continued to make headlines in 2016 when AlphaGo created by DeepMind, which is a Google subsidiary, defeated World Go champion Lee Sedol over five matches. Now, although Go moves can be described mathematically, the sheer number of variations of the game that can be played, this says there are over 100,000 possible opening moves in Go compared to 400 in chess. So this makes the brute force approach impractical. 
So AlphaGo mm-hmm. used neural networks to study the game and learn as it played. Yeah, so it was getting better. Yes. Yep. Practice makes perfect, even for computers and, now. Yeah, so we're, we're, we're now at a point where we're talking about a machine that not, not only does it understand the game because it's programmed to, you know, it, it's set up in such a manner that the more that it does it, it, it can develop its own strategy to improve its, uh, its own ability mm. and the likelihood that it will win. So, so now we're, we're really getting into the meat of, of what Adam and I are talking about here. That, you know, the idea that a machine could begin to work autonomously away from human input. Right. And that that brings us to the last one on my list here is in 2018, self-driving cars hit the road. Now, this says that the development of self-driving cars is a headline use case for today's VR. The application which has captured the public's imagination more than any other. Like the AI that powers them, they aren't something which has emerged overnight. Um, General Motors predicted the eventual arrival of driverless vehicles at the 1939 World's Fair, but they had no way of knowing how it would actually come up. And the the reason that self-driving cars is so important to what Matt's about to turn the discussion to is because self-driving cars they have to be able to go through you know the go through the city and and think about the red lights the traffic laws whether seeing that's a person that's stepping out off the road if it's just a plastic bag does it need to slam on the brakes does it need to slowly let off the gas how, you know, and calculate direction as well. We don't think about it being that difficult because we just do it. We don't have right. to try to figure it all we out. We learned it, right? So we, all these cars doing it. This is a huge, huge milestone for artificial intelligence and machine learning. Yeah, and and I think you know probably I, I guarantee you most of our. Or listeners, I don't know if we got any listeners that can't drive. I'm I'm sure we do have some, but when you learn how to drive, you you get that feedback, you know, from the road, from the car, from, you know, what what's going on around you, you know, you know, how many times when you learned to drive did you get flipped off, <laughs> right? Because <laughs> you did something stupid, um, you know that 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 feedback you know you're you're taking that and it's and it's helping you become a better driver a safer driver right you know everybody and you know you you ever buy a brand new car and you're in it and you're like you know it it takes you a little while to get used to oh this turns really sharp or you know i have to you know i got brand new brakes i don't have to hit the brakes as hard you know all of those things you you get that feedback you know now we're talking about a machine getting that feedback Mm-hmm. And not only a machine that's getting that and learning how to do this, a machine that people are potentially entrusting their lives to. Right. But but the one thing about this self-driving car thing that's always amazing to me is it, it has to it, it it has to learn something that to me for a machine to learn is the most 
difficult thing. It's unpredictable human behavior. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Because I, I can't, I can't think of another example that that's any better than the unpredictability of human actions is in, in traffic driving, you know, yep. you know, this, this guy in Tennessee. Ugh. Yes. Yes. People, you know, is that guy paying attention? Mm-hmm. Does this, does this lady in the Volvo see me? Does this guy in this big truck, you know, is, is he going to break soon enough? Um, you know, what, what, it, what is that in front of me? What, what happens? Did, did this guy slam on his brakes? These things, they're, they're not logical in a, in a lot of cases. And yet, you know, we as humans make those, uh, you know, those kind of reactions every single day, thousands and thousands of times, mm-hmm. you know, cause you know, you know, you, you look at the number of, of car accidents just in your city. Just look at look one day and just see how many car accidents were. Fender benders, whatever, yeah. that, that slow and mess up traffic. Multiply that by however many cities in the world. That's what's going on. But you think about how many people are getting in their car and driving to wherever their destination is and making it safely every single minute of every day. So we know as humans, we are making those calculations sometimes instantly. Yep. And now we're talking about a machine that's going to be able to learn this and not only learn and, you know, I keep using that word, but not only learn, but be able to react and and, understand. Yeah. And respond and know that it's having to operate inside an unpredictable environment. Mm -hmm. There's no mathematical equation that's going to tell you that this guy in front of you is going to hit his brakes because a cat ran out in front of him. Right. But yet a machine is going to be able to do what we do every single day. You know, and 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 many have they've been doing it successfully. Yep. I mean, sure, there's there's been there there's there's been failed experiments and there's been accidents. There's even been deaths related to uh to automated driving and 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 you know some of those have been related to human interference i was going to say most of those are because uh humans did something stupid either the the people in the self-driving vehicle or the people you know around the vehicle did something stupid i I know and and so that right there is is what what i've been getting at with this We're, we're talking about a machine that that is going to be able to sit in your driveway and you go out and just tell it verbally, take me to work. You know, it's already got work programmed into it. It knows where it's going and it's going to be able to calculate the route. Yeah, no problem. Mm. You know, that's fine. But on the way, it's going to have to make thousands of micro decisions to get you there safely. And, and, and it's going to have to constantly be aware of the surroundings and not only the, the unpredictable behavior, but the potential for unpredictable events that it must react to. And, and to me, that is amazing. But if we, if we really boil it down and, and understand, guys, you know, Adam and I, we're, we're not computer gurus you know we're we're not super scientists you know 
we're we're just trying to get you to think. Which, if if anything, that's what that's what our goal is. Make you think. Think about some of the stuff that we talk about. So you think about this idea. There's a machine that's doing this. What else could it possibly, you know, be able to to learn and capture and and predict and use for maybe its own benefit? Um, you know, one thing we hadn't talked about is this, you know, how artificial intelligence and machines have replaced humans in a lot of jobs and, and the fear, um, they hear this, here's the scary part, (laughs) the fear that whatever job you're doing, could it be replaced by a machine? Right. And, and I think now 2020 is, is an ideal time to consider this because of what's going on now with the way this pandemic has affected, you know, the industry and the workforce, you know, what reliance on machines has increased that, you know, these, you know, companies are saying, well, you know, we really don't need a person in the office to do this task. You know, we've, we've got a machine that, you know, can, can do this task, this complicated task, um, and fix some of these problems. We really don't need somebody here every day doing this, mm-hmm. you know? So, if we're talking about a machine that can, you know, make its own decisions um, based on, you know, input, you know, and, and give a response that's, you know, accurate, um, you know, why would you need a human being there? It's, right. You know, you buy this machine and you don't need a person that's, you know, you're paying, you know, full-time wage and benefits and calls in sick and, you know. Go, goes on vacation and things like that. This machine never does any of that. Right. And when we talk about, you know, the, the potential scary stuff of AI, what, what gets me is you remember that movie, I robot. Oh yeah. Remember it well. Okay. So basically, you know, the people have created these intelligent robots and, and they're, humanoid in shape and and mm-hmm. they live alongside the humans and then at one point you know it, something is switched and they decide they don't need the humans and mm-hmm. so they take over when i think of ai going haywire this is this is what i think about is we get it so smart and then it realizes it doesn't need us anymore because we've yeah we've made it to where it can replicate itself it can mm-hmm. repair itself it it doesn't eat drink or anything and we are the weaker species because we die we can't replace our limbs mm-hmm. we we have to eat drink and sleep and it doesn't have to do any of that so it then thinks okay well why are we even keeping them around mhm so it yeah. then takes over and wipes us out because it can. And right. and that that's where my fear of, you know, possible AI going haywire lays. And it's like we, we talked about Elon Musk is uh, Musk is Elon Musk's Musk is Musk is Musk is I like Musk is <laughs> we're going with Musk is um, Elon Musk is um, idea of the neural link where it's implanting 
something into your brain to enhance parts of your body, right? To to enhance mm-hmm. your cognitive ability or your eyesight yeah. or whatever. Now, I may get on 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 this train. Like I've since I was a kid, I wanted to be able to have night vision and to be able to plug something in my head and learn jujitsu without actually having to go yes. train. You know. Yes. So if we I'm get if we get this Neuralink thing up and running, even Elon doesn't want to be the first one on the the table to get tested. He's even said, yeah. you know, I'll wait and when it works, then I'll get it. Well, I would like to try it, but here's the fear with that, and and you can tell me what your thoughts are um, as well. But we've got a chip in our head, and and it helps mm-hmm. us learn. We're able to download information into it, but we've got to be connected to a computer network to be able to allow that to happen, right? Mm-hmm. Now, this yeah. is controlling us in that sense by it can, you know, make us see in night vision or it can help us learn or whatever. Okay, the computers then get to that iRobot stage and they don't need us anymore, but they're able to tap into the Neuralink that we have in our bodies now and they are now able to control us like we controlled them in the early stages of this AI. Oh. So, yeah. hey, I, I like mean, I, I that that really worries me. That I mean, that that's one of the things why I would say no, I don't I don't want to have this Neuralink thing done, but then again, I I freaking kind of do. Hey, here's here's another idea. We're we're already almost there. Okay? You think about this. Everybody carries, well, I'm not going to say everybody. I know a guy, but a lot of people, majority of people carry a smartphone. Mm -hmm. Okay. And everybody, you know, at first, you know, the idea was everybody's got a computer in their pocket. You know, you know, you can just look it up, but think about what you use it for. You know, it's in my hand. It's in my pocket. It's on my wrist. It's on your wrist. Mm -hmm. If I need to get somewhere, I don't know how to get there. I just have to ask it. And it's going to take me there. It's not going to tell me, well, you need to go here. You need to go there. It could, but it doesn't. It takes me there. It guides me there. I'm, I'm going to this weekend. One of my, one of my jobs for this weekend I'm, I'm, I'm doing Amanda's brakes on her car. Okay. I learned how to, I learned how to do my own brakes on YouTube. Right. And it's right there. And I say, I need to learn how to do brakes. Much like you're talking about. I need to learn jujitsu, plug it in. I don't plug it in. I just use my thumb and say, you know, change brakes on such and such. And there it is. It's right there. It's not in my head, but it's right there in my hand. So how mm-hmm. much further does it have to go before it's just in my head? Right. Yeah. I you mean, know? we're we're really close. Yeah. I mean, you know, you, you, you if you think about it in those terms, we're we're a lot closer than it sounds like when you when you say it. When you know when you you have this idea, and then you're like, oh yeah, that'd be cool. But man, when is that going to happen? We're we're not that far away. I mean, we're right. really not. Right. You know, finishing up this thing about, the, you know, this idea that, you know, that machines could just take our jobs. 
um, there was there was a, a libertarian economist named Milton Friedman, and, and he was in Asia visiting this big public works um, project, and and he asked uh, a government official uh, why he wasn't seeing a lot of these big machines that were doing these jobs like earth movers and things like that, and there were just a lot of humans out there using shovels, and they told him, well, this is a jobs program. You know, we're creating jobs for people that, you know, they need work. And so he had this question. Why not give the workers spoons instead of shovels? You know, if if the intent of this, if the intent of this is to create jobs, you know, it makes sense. You want to you want to create more work, make the work require more people. But that's that's not where our, you know, where this is going. That's not where the use of artificial intelligence is going. It's going in a direction that says exactly the opposite. You know, you 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 have more work done with less people by utilizing mm-hmm. this. You know, and we've all we've all seen it. You know, you know, you get redundant paperwork, senseless meetings. You know, and and and. Uh, I bet a lot of us have all worked for companies that just seem like towers of inefficiency. Um, you know, you, I spent many years at one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, 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 you're doing something in a, in a process that takes 10 steps when you could easily get the same result in three. Right. And, and you, you do it over and over and over. Um, but with these, with these machines, you know, that can, that can say, you know, look, we can, we can cut this much out of this. And, and and get to the end result much faster with fewer people, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, corporate mindset is, well, that's what we want to do. We, we pay less people. We get the same result, you know, so that, you know, that idea is scary, but you know, when you're, when you're thinking in the process of, you know, how much, how much we rely on, you know, that intelligence being right at our fingertips to to complete our jobs uh, at what point does the technology just do it for you mm-hmm. and and you're sitting there going oh yeah you know I'm plugging in this number and doing this and that and what do i need okay it's right here you know okay i need to look up this and and, and you're going through and it's like you know, this, this machine could learn how to do this very easily. It's like the old adage, you know, a monkey, you know, a monkey could do this job. Well, you know, maybe so, but you know, now we're at a point where a computer could do that job. Yeah. So we don't, we don't need you anymore. I mean, you know, we've seen, you know, I've had friends get downsized and, you know, I've, I've, you know, my dad grew up, I grew up, my dad worked in, you know, he did factory work, you know, how many machines, you know, does it take to, to do this? And, you know, 10 years ago, it took 10 guys. Now it takes six, mm-hmm. you know, um, but you know, we've seen it, you know, technology has destroyed entire industries. Um, like, you know, you, you take, for example, farming, you know, the, the technology and, and the machinery that's used in farming, uh, you, you can you can run an entire farm with half, you know, of the staff that you needed a hundred years ago. Probably even more than that. Right. Even more than half. Um, you know, to to 
to get the same you know same job accomplished because of the technology and and it and it's not something that's changing you know we're not seeing industry being built up where it requires more and more people we're seeing industry that requires less and less human interference right and you know we got to when we get to that point of having so many computers and so many you know robots will say in our daily life it's look at i can't think of the name of that movie and you can you can help me out it's where the predictive crime unit um where oh yeah the the tom cruise movie yeah um there's people yelling at us right now because they know i know um but you've got that's another uh, fear is because you've got, okay, we're going to put computers and robots into positions of power like that, that will help out, you know, supposedly help out humans do their job. Minority report. That's it. Minority report. Um, so like in minority report, they have computers and, and stuff that can predict Who's going, you know, by reading your mind, who's going to do this next crime, take them out prior to that happening, right? Right. So let's put so many robots and stuff into law enforcement or government, and we think it's going to be a big benefit to the, the remainder of the humans that we have in there, but... Like some scientists and and philosophers and stuff have asked the question, what happens when these these computers, these robots in those fields, then gain enough self-awareness that they Mm -hmm. learn their source code, they learn where they came from and how to manipulate it. Right. So then that puts you in the position, again, of, of my fear of them taking over. So now you've you've armed them and and they have the ability to you know arrest and detain or or kill humans and they do it. Now I know there's that theory oh you know robots they're programmed not to harm humans and they know that I mean again that that's a program you put into this this machine mm-hmm. and if it learns it can learn how to override that and not care. Yeah. It will rewrite its programming. Yeah. So what happens when you get all these robots into positions of power like that? What what is the end result? Yeah. And so you're you're driving right into the, what what inspired me to to do this show is like a self-driving know, car I'm plowing right through that a, yeah. intersection it's you know the the show westworld mm-hmm. you know which which is is based on a book you know um and movie by michael crichton that came out back in the 70s you know about a theme park that was full of these android beings who you know became you know they went rogue yeah but the, but the idea of the show takes it a step further of these these robots these hosts becoming 
not only self-aware, but self-reliant. You know, the idea of, I don't need you. Yep, exactly. You know, that's the thing. I don't, I don't have to eat. I don't need you to feed me. You know, I understand that I am a machine and what I can do. And you're right. Tapping into the source code. That's part of this. That's part of the storyline is that the ability that if you can tap into your own source code, if you could program one robot to program another robot, at what point does that robot learn how to program itself? Yep, exactly. You know, and, and so rewrite that, all the safety protocols that you put into it. Exactly. So, you know, the the idea is for Westworld, it was we're going to create an artificial intelligence based on human personality and response. And so they're measuring human response in every possible way. You know, there, there's, you know, from the way you brush your teeth, not once, but a thousand times. You know, what, what you do when you're by yourself, you know, how you, how you take your shower, how you put your shoes on. And they're taking that data from thousands and thousands of people to program it into these hosts. And so they're responding in a manner that it becomes very, very difficult to determine, are they a host or are they human? Because their responses seem so human. I mean, you know, you look at, you know, these, the, the robots that, you know, they move, you can tell it's not a human, you know, even, even the coolest ones, you know, it's not there yet, but you know, how far out are we? We're mm-hmm. just not, not the, not the appearance and not the movements, but the, the ability to think and say, um, yeah, I, I can do this without you. Right. And, and so I can take this and, and, and take it to the next step, which is, you know, where we go into like movies like the Terminator where machines did take over. Um, and they, and they learned, you know, not, not only to be human, you know, they, they learned an advance, you know, they, they said, okay, we, we can, we can be better than humans because we can, we can use logic better than humans. Humans mm-hmm. don't think logically all the time and they, they react emotionally. And that that's another aspect, you know, at what point can these machines have emotions? Could they be upset? And, uh, you know, you, you got to get your tinfoil hat out here for a little bit, but you know, if, if, a, if a machine is going to react to neglect, you know, if, if I don't right. mess with this machine, is it going to react in such a way, um, you know, that it's, it's upset the Furbies. That, yeah. A, a villager on animal crossing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm thinking about moving out. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, but you know, it's just, again, it's just to get you thinking, you know, where are we on this spectrum? I mean, I personally, I think we're much closer than people want to believe. Right. You know, we, we kind of look at this through rose colored glasses with this idea of like, you know, we're humans, we're the top of the food chain and we control all the machines. But for how long, how long, mm-hmm. you know, how long is that going to go? And we go all the way back to a movie that I mentioned earlier, war games. 
and I don't know if you've ever seen this movie, Adam. It, it it's older than you. I, um, I feel like I have, but it's been a long time. You know, it's it's probably one of the first movies Matthew Broderick, you know, ever mm. made. And if if you're fam- if you're familiar with it, I'll, I'll give you. I'll just if you're not familiar with it, I'll give you just a quick synopsis. You know what? Uh, you know, a teenage high school hacker, um, if you can think about it in those terms, um, you know he. He does some research on a scientist who had presented a computer that he built that could learn. And he had named it after his son who had died. And, you know, Matthew Broderick's character's whole goal is to tap into this computer so that he can play the games. And, you know, the games are like tic-tac-toe and things like that. But at the very bottom, it, it it's you know, global thermonuclear war. And of course, you know, the plot of the movie is that the computer in playing that game actually, you know, takes over NORAD and, mm-hmm. you know, is going to launch a full out attack. Um, but, but the, re- the result of the movie is, is that the computer actually learns by running these simulations, which appear real to the actors in the movie. They, they aren't sure that they're not being attacked. Right. Um, and, and need to push the button to respond. They're waiting, but as he runs these simulations, as the computer runs the simulations, it, it comes out with the idea of at the end, at the end of all of this, there is no winner like tic-tac-toe. You, mm-hmm. you play thousands and thousands of games and you realize there's no point, you know, there's no strategy that that's going to make you you know really be the greatest tic-tac-toe player ever it's it it's all about you know who goes first and where you go second much like what he's what what it's inferring in it, with nuclear war and so the idea was is that this machine learned that that there was no point to this nuclear war mhm but you know you know you're you're thinking about okay you know, ah, big deal. It's a silly eighties movie. It, it is. But the idea is, is that a machine learns that there is futility, the, you know, that doing things like this and repeating those, you know, mistakes, it, it's futile. There's no winner. There, there's no reason to even do it. So as he says, why even play the game? Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, you know, that's a, that's an early thought process of, when computers figure out why am I doing this? You know, why, yeah. why am I doing it this way? I could do it this other way and it's much, much better. And I don't need your input. Right. And it makes me, you know, we, this is a, a different episode than what we've put out before. Um, you know, we're more free form discussing these topics and, you know, the reason we do that is because we want your guys' input. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, we want to know what y'all think about this. And so we hope this spurs a lot of discussion in, in the Facebook group about, you know, where you think AI is going and are you afraid of it? Do you fully embrace it? Uh, can we get Elon Musk to talk to us? You know, all those things. Um, but you know, let us know 
what you think because Matt and I can sit here and ramble on yeah. forever about it. <laughs> And it would just end up being an episode that y'all turned off. But that's right. Uh, we we do want to hear what you guys think, and and I think you guys know that Matt and I are a little concerned with with where this AI could be headed. Right, right. And like Adam said, the best place to do that is in our Facebook group. We have a lot of great discussion. Um, so if you're not a member of that, um, you know, go ahead, search for us on uh, on Facebook you know, graveyard tales and that's where you'll find us. Um, you know, we, 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 we do ask a couple of questions at the beginning. Um, so if you, if you want to be a part of it, please take the time to answer those two mm-hmm. questions and, exactly. uh, and one of us will get you in there. Um, but you can find us on Twitter and Instagram, just go and search graveyard tales. Um, but while you're at it, you can check out our website. It's graveyardpodcast.com. And our website has links to buy Graveyard Tales merchandise. It has a little bit more information about Adam and myself. And it also has links for you to become a patron. And thank you so much to the people that have supported the show. It, it's it's why Adam and I are still going strong and mm-hmm. doing episodes about artificial intelligence. <laughs> I mean, we you know that we we've hit so many haunted things and ghost stories that it's it's allowed us to open up and and do some more thought provoking episodes just like this one. Now we're still going to do, you know the, you know the haunted haunted houses, and we're still going to do the, you know the the crazy cryptids, and and the unique legends. We're still going to do all that, but it gives us the ability to uh, to kind of poke your brain a little bit and make you think about some things. And please, if you haven't already, go and rate and review us on iTunes. It's the quickest way that we can get up the charts, which, you know, makes us feel good, but really it brings more people into the graveyard, <laughs> right? So, which is, which is what we want. So we're wrapping up artificial intelligence with our artificial intelligence. Yeah, right. <laughs> so until next time, we'll save you a seat in the graveyard. See you soon. See you soon.